Hello, good morning, Happy Sabbath Church. Uh, Pastor Adrian here. I uh, hope you are all well and staying safe. Uh, before we get started with the message, uh, just a reminder: uh, we um, our our board meeting uh, is coming up this Monday. Uh, the leaders will be talking about uh, some ways to do evangelism um, and also discussing about uh, the reopening of our church as well. So I, I'm petitioning for people's continuing feedback. Uh, I've gotten text messages and talked to a number of you on the phone. And I would just appreciate if you would continue uh, sharing your feedback with myself or the other leaders uh, about your desire um, Last Sabbath, we had church in Paris. Uh, we had a small number of people, uh, but we had a great service. Uh, we practiced the guidelines, and uh, we did our social distancing. Uh, we had some sanitizing going on, and we provided a safe environment for those who wanted to feel safe as they were coming to church. And we, we enjoyed it very much. It was a little bit different, but it was nice to be in the house of God and worshiping together. Uh, so uh, with that said, I know that there are a number of those who are still uh, rather concerned about uh, coming back to church uh, physically. And so um, we're trying to develop options uh, for, for those who will, will not be coming back soon. Um, so please be praying for us as we try to navigate through these difficult times. It's not easy uh, as I talk with our leaders about what we're going to do. Uh, but I know there's a growing number of people who are wanting to come back. Uh, it's been a long time. And so, uh, again, please be praying about these things. Now, um, let's uh, get into our message for today. It's from Luke chapter 16. And verses 1 through 13, uh, we'll be reading a passage here. Uh, honestly, as I think about it, I've never heard a sermon on this uh, parable before. And uh, I've had trouble trying to understand this uh, myself in the past. But this week's study of this passage and understanding what it means was enriching for myself. And I hope it's the same uh, for you today. So we'll be looking at Luke chapter 16. It's the parable of the unjust steward. Luke 16, verses 1 through 13. He also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses." So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. 
And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray as we uh, look at this passage and its meaning for us today in the 21st century, uh, even in the times in which we live, I ask and pray, God, that you would inspire this message. May it be yours and not mine. Please speak to each heart today who hears this message. Uh, May Jesus be lifted up. May your words be spoken and believed in and your spirit present with each one. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some time ago, I saw this article uh, in the news that I thought was uh, it was quite amusing, actually. And the title is, Arizona Man Caught Driving in the HOV Lane with a Fake Skeleton Riding Shotgun. A man in Arizona, he was pulled over uh, for attempting to, di- to disguise a fake skeleton as a passenger in his car so he could stealthily drive in the HOV lane. Now, the guy who did this was a 62-year-old man uh, who received a ticket uh, when the trooper noticed that the skeleton was uh, wearing a a camouflage bucket hat, and he was tied in the passenger seat with a yellow rope. And so when the trooper noticed the man driving with the skeleton uh, in the passenger seat in the HOV lane, he pulled him over, gave him a ticket, and uh, had a little talk with the guy. So it appears the man also had windows that were tinted too dark, uh, and maybe he thought that's why he would be able to get away with uh, driving in the HOV lane with the skeleton. Uh, But apparently his uh, windows were not tinted dark enough. And so uh, when the trooper took a photo of this man's skeleton in the passenger seat, and it's quite comical. You, you see the skeleton, the fake skeleton with a camo hat and, and, and clothes on. He's sitting upright. He's sitting straight upright on a little cooler. And uh, he's strapped in, uh, almost looks like he's buckled in. And uh, so the trooper posted this picture uh, on the Department of Public Safety for Arizona, which says, Think you can use the HOV lane with skeleton riding shotgun. You're dead wrong. One of our motor troopers cited the 62-year-old male driving for HOV and window violations on, uh, it names the highway, SR-101 near Apache Boulevard uh, this morning. Uh, So he tried to cheat the system uh, just to save some time, you know. 
And uh, any of you who have driven in these bigger cities with uh, congested highways, you know how frustrating uh, that it can be when you get stuck in traffic and how tempting the HOV lane, these other lanes look uh, when you're stuck in traffic. But uh, in most places, indeed, uh, you, you can get in big trouble for trying to do uh, stuff like this. And it's quite comical. But, uh, you know, you, you think about the time and the energy and the intentionality this guy put into getting the skeleton, dressing it up, tying it down, tenting his windows, <laughs> and doing all this stuff to try and save some time. You know, that's a, that's a little bit excessive. But uh, I just wondered, you know, how long did he get away with something like this before he was actually caught, you know? And uh, I share that story with you today. It's a, it's a small illustration, but, you know, I wonder as Christians uh, how intentional and deliberate and how much energy and thought do we put into serving God and serving others? How, how much do the sons of light, how much can they learn from the sons of this world when it comes to... Uh, accomplishing the mission that God has given to us. And so in our passage for today, Jesus tells this parable about an unjust steward who was found to be unfaithful uh, to his master. And when he was about to be fired for being a bad manager, he did something that was smart and he did something that was going to secure himself a future free from shame and begging when he got thrown out of the house, so to speak. So Jesus tells this parable about this unjust steward who gets caught mismanaging. Basically, he's just using his, uh, his master's goods for himself. He's being a bad steward. He's, maybe he's, he's, he's not watching over his master's property or wealth or, or servants very well. And uh, so his, his master hears about his unfaithfulness, comes to him and tells him that he must give an account. Now, the servant, the unfaithful servant, unfaithful steward is caught red-handed. He knows there's nothing that he can do to show, hey, I've been, I've been uh, working faithfully. If you don't plant, if you don't sow, if you don't cultivate, you have no fruit to show for it. There, there was nothing that he could do. So he knew he was going to be thrown out. But before the decisive blow was made and he was thrown out, he still had his master's goods within his possessions. He was still the manager at that point. So he does something very crafty here. He, he does something that uh, once you think about it and you, and you, and you take uh, some, some uh, examination, you thought, wow, if this guy would have been this smart and this intentional and, and this motivated before he got in trouble, wow, he would have been a great steward. You know, he would, he would have been a great manager. And instead of being fired, maybe he would have, you know, been promoted some way. So it's too bad he didn't think to do all these things before. But he knows he's going to be thrown out, and his mind starts working, and his mind starts thinking. And he, gets, he says, okay, so what am I going to do now? And so 
He goes and he calls the people who are indebted to his master. Okay? And he says, how much do you owe my master? Well, I owe him a hundred measures of, of wheat or whatever it was. He says, let me see that document or that contract. He says, Let, let's doctor this document up a little bit. And instead of owing a hundred, now you owe eighty. And I still have my master's stamp of approval here, so to speak, his, his stamp with his signature, and I'll go ahead and stamp that thing. And you just give me the $80, right? You give me the, the 80 uh, measures, and I'll go, I'll go deliver to him right now. Does that sound like a deal? So the guy says, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm saving 20% here. That's great. So he goes to someone else and says, well, how much do you owe? He also says, I owe 100 and so the unjust steward says, well, you just, let's doctor this contract up and you only give 50. And we'll say it's only 50. So he takes the 50, he puts the master's stamp of approval on it. And uh, so he delivers the, the money to his master and he's doctored up these, these documents. And so now these people who owed the master, these, these debtors, they say, yeah, this guy, he, he really helped me to, to save uh, a good amount of money or a good amount of, of wealth, a good amount of resources. You know, I can see he's a smart guy. He's, he's a witty guy. So now when he gets fired by his master, then maybe they will take him in and give him a position in, in their property or, or with their goods. And so he's securing for himself a place to work, a place to live, a place for means. So when he gets thrown out of his master's house, he's not begging, he's not digging, he's not homeless. So he got pretty smart and he got pretty witty pretty quickly. And so Jesus tells this parable of this unjust steward. And he says here that the master, in verse 8, the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Now, it should be noted here that the master in this story, in this parable, he does not commend the... the uh, um, He does not commend the fraud, so to speak. He does not commend the fact that he was was frauding this man. No, no, no. He commends the fact that once he knew he was being thrown out, he got real creative real quick. He He started acting as if he should have been acting before. He started thinking and moving and communicating and managing things and and thinking of ways uh, that he could benefit himself, ways that he could even benefit the people who were involved. I mean, if you really think about it, everybody got something out of this deal. Now, some people lost. Of course, the master lost that 20 and that 50 percent, but at least he got something out of it. And these men, these debtors, well, they they got a great bargain as well. And the steward himself, he got something out of it. So here he is moving and managing and working things. Now, again, he's, he's frauding. He's, he's, he's a crooked guy. We, we cannot uh, hide the fact that he's crooked here. But, again, at least he's, he's doing something 
that he should have been doing before. And so the master commends this guy uh, for his creativity, for his, for his management at this time. And so Jesus uses this illustration in a very interesting way. And this is a passage in the past that I could never understand before. I've read it so many times, and I could never understand what Jesus was trying to say here before. Why is Jesus using this passage as an example for born-again Christians? I mean, this guy is a fraud. This guy's he's manipulating, he's, he's a bad steward, he's, he's what one of my high school football coaches would have called a good example of a bad example. You don't want to be like this guy, you know. But Jesus uses this illustration and says that Christians can learn something from this. And so, basically what Jesus is teaching here is look at this unjust guy. He's got bad motives. He's a crook. And he's going to get thrown out from his position. But hey, look, at least in his selfishness, in his bad motives, he's getting his mind working. He's, he's thinking through uh, the process of how he can secure himself uh, a place to live and a job later on when he gets fired. You know, he's putting his mind to work. And in the process of doing that, this man knew that he would have to benefit other people in order to gain their favor. These creditors who got this big discount. And so Jesus is saying, look, if this guy could do that, how come Christians don't do that sometimes? Our motives are, are to be pure and right and good. Our, our mission, our management, so to speak, the reason that we are given possessions by God, uh, they're, they're, they're good and they're right and, and they're for eternal benefits. How much more should Christians develop good ideas or ways of benefiting other people or advancing the mission of Jesus Christ. And so he's using this as an example to say, hey, you're, you're sons of light. I mean, you should be way beyond and above what this guy is doing, you know? And so he's, he's telling Christians... Listen, you, you should be setting the pace. You should be the ones who are, are really out on, on, the, on the fringes of creativity and, and of passion and of motivation for advancing the kingdom of God. And something I learned from this, this parable is that Christians should be focused. We should be smart and we should be creative, and we should think sacrificially in the use of our time and our wealth and our opportunities to serve God and to serve others. And I thought about this especially at a time like this when half the world and our country has been shut down for weeks and months, and now slowly things are starting to open up again. 
And uh, I have to admit, we I had things planned for uh, our churches, uh, outreach ministries, public evangelism, you know, call porters, health stuff, you know, um, all these different kinds of things. And when when uh, we had to postpone these things, um, I thought, well, what are we supposed to do now? You know, I, I, I personally got quite discouraged. And uh, it took me some time, it has taken me some time to realize that this is a time that as Christians, we should use many other creative means for advancing the gospel message, for advancing the three angels' message. And so, you know, finally people are starting to come to me and say, hey, pastor, what about mailing out this booklet to other people? Or what about sending out this DVD into our community? Or what about leaving things on people's door with notes and with, with pamphlets and literature and those type of, of things? And so I, I can see that people's minds are, are, are starting to get creative. Their juices are starting to flow. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. Now, uh, as I was preparing for this week, I found this a very helpful quotation uh, from Christ Object Lessons, her comment on this uh, passage here in Luke chapter 16, I found to be quite helpful in understanding what Jesus is saying here. She says on page 369 and 370, listen to this, the servant in the parable had made no provision for the future. The goods entrusted to him for the benefit of others he had used for himself. But he had thought only of the present. When the stewardship should be taken from him, he would have nothing to call his own. But his master's goods were still in his hands, and he determined to use them so as to secure himself against future want. To accomplish this, he must work on a new plan. Instead of gathering for himself, he must impart to others. Thus he might secure friends who, when he should be cast out, would receive him. Now she goes on to say later on in the same uh, page, uh, the same uh, uh, chapter, she says, Worldly wise men display more wisdom and earnestness in serving themselves than do the professed children of God in their service to him. So it was in Christ's day, and so it is now. Ouch. <laughs> Let me read that one more time. Worldly wise men display, display more wisdom and earnestness in serving themselves than do the professed children of God in their service to him. So it was in Christ's day, so it is now. And I'm if, unfortunately, isn't that true, you know? Think about all the opportunities and all the things that God can do for us. You know, before this pandemic, our, our churches should be overflowing. You know, the, the, the means that we use to proclaim the gospel should be new and different all the time. And our focus should be with our opportunities, with our money, with with our, our time, 
should be in the benefit of others and the advancement of the kingdom of God. But something here struck me, I think is so relevant for the time that we are living in right now. As she commented on how this, this steward's his position, his, his thinking was changing, she said this that, that, um, that really caught my attention. His master's goods were still in his hands, and he determined to use them so as to secure himself against future want. To accomplish this, he must work on a new plan. That means he had to think completely differently about what he was going to do. And I want to say, church, that going from this time forward, as Christians living in a post-COVID-19 world, that we should start thinking completely differently about the way that we do ministry. And as a matter of fact, maybe it's a long overdue. Maybe we should be thinking about new ways of doing ministry long before this whole outbreak, long before any other crisis comes, long before, you know, uh, 9-11, which changed our world. We should be thinking about new and different ways of doing ministry. That might mean using technology, which some of us are not all that uh, savvy in. Uh, that might mean thinking of different ways or, or materials to be mailing out or ways of visiting other people. And so, as God's people, we should be thinking in new and different ways about how to do what God has called us to do. And so, in this, in this passage, I, I tell you that when I started working on this message earlier this week, I was thinking about uh, how important it is at this time when people are suffering uh, financially, you know, our, our, um, our unemployment rate has been going up in this country and the numbers keep climbing and uh, I'm sure we all have neighbors or relatives or people who are in a place that they've probably never been before in their lives, many of them. I thought, you know, this is a, this is a great opportunity for Christians who have been faithful to shine. And so that's, that's kind of what my thinking was in preparing this message. And I thought about how important it is to be faithful uh, financially to God, being faithful in paying our tithes and our offerings to the church and to the mission of the church. But you see, when we talk about uh, uh, financial security or we talk about uh, money, we usually talk about tithes, and a, a lot of times we just stop there. A lot of times we, we talk about that very important thing because of what the Bible says about it. You know, we all heard, we've all known uh, Malachi 3, where God tells us, you know, if we're, we're holding, withholding our tithe and that it is robbery and that offerings are important as well too. But when it comes to financial stewardship, we should be going above and beyond that. We should, we should be thinking uh, even more, more deeply about the subject. Being faithful with our tithe to God is only the beginning of what God expects of us. God would have us to honor him not only with the 10%, but with 
the whole 90% as well, all the, hun- the whole 100% as well. God wants us to honor him with all of our wealth, with all of our time, with all of our opportunities, with all of our energies, with, with our family, with, with our conversations. God wants us to honor him with all, not just a fraction. He does not want us to pay a tithe and some offering, then use the rest as we please or as we think necessary. We should employ all our energy and resources in a way that honors our God. God should control what we do with the whole 100%. And I want to get back to this thing about the times in which we live now and the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Because it's times in crisis where we, we, that we are seeing all around us where Christians should be at the forefront of being both ready to weather the storm and ready to give to those in need. Now, this requires... Christians to be good stewards. This requires Christians to be very intentional about the way that they manage their life. And, you know, as I, I've uh, talked to people on the phone and in person, um, I, am, I am impressed at uh, how many people I've heard who have either uh, lost their jobs or lost hours or have uh, some other you know threat financial threat coming their way of how many people are actually um, prepared you know some of them are they've saved up they've uh, put something away for an emergency and so they're ready for the crisis but there is an alarming amount of people in our country as well who are suffering under a burden of debt. People who are not prepared for the storms that are coming our way. There's a number of people who are not quite prepared to say, not only am I prepared for this storm, but I am ready also to help others in need. And so that says something about money management as well. That says something about the importance of being good stewards with everything that God gives us. And we live in a time and in a culture where it is so easy to spend and to live as if there is no tomorrow. We have people, we have businesses and companies that are always after our money, that are always trying to advertise to us We have a culture that is always trying to teach us that we need a bigger house or a nicer, more reliable automobile, that we need this or we need that, or we have to live up to these certain standards to show that we have actually made it. And I want to say, church, that as the people of God, as the sons of light, we have to be very careful of those influences from our culture. Now, I really appreciate uh, some time ago we had a, 
uh, Dave Ramsey uh, Financial Peace Seminar. Um, we had a few people come out, not very much. But uh, I really appreciate uh, his ministry. I don't agree with everything that the man says uh, or the way he does uh, his ministry all the time. Uh, but I've been through the program a few times, and um, I've had the opportunity of hosting it in uh, one of our churches here in East Texas. And so one th- a few things I noticed in his presentations is, first of all, uh, it's quite biblically based. And another important thing is a lot of it is just pure common sense about how to manage money. And he talks about the importance of budgeting money, about saving for a a rainy day, about planning for the future, and about the importance of giving as well. And so I wonder how many Christians are out there at this very critical time in history who maybe need to think of a new way of managing their finances, who maybe need to think of a new way of managing what God has given them. And that means time, and that means possessions, and that means uh, their jobs, and that means their families, of thinking about a new way of living. Because that's what saved this unjust steward. And Jesus is implying that sometimes we need to think differently in order to receive the benefits that God wants to give us, both in the present and for eternity as well. But that doesn't just go for individual Christians. That goes for churches as well. Sometimes our churches have to think of new ways, different ways, of managing the wealth and the resources that God has given us. Think about new ways of of how to be the mission-minded church that God has called us to be. This is a perfect time, the best time as any, to start thinking differently. And this is this has quite challenged me this week. This has quite challenged me about how I think about doing ministry. And to be very honest, I have just kind of been uh, doing routine things, you know, like the sermon and, and online uh, uh, prayer meetings. And, you know, I had my classes and I've just kind of been you know, okay, we, we have to wait till all this passes so we can kind of get back to the way things were before. And God is speaking to my heart that, no, we don't need to just get back to the way things were before. We, we need to start thinking differently about how we do ministry as a church. We need to start uh, thinking more about how can... The, the people in the pews, you, the people of God on the front lines, can be more creative in the way that we do ministry. And so I think this, this is what presents a great challenge to us today as we read this passage. How can we think in those new and different ways? And now, some of you may be saying to yourselves, well, pastor, you know, I'm, I'm not rich. I don't have a, a lot of uh, 
money to spare. You know, I, I totally understand that. You know, we have families and bills and responsibilities. And, uh, and God wants us to, to be careful and to provide and to be uh, uh, able to, um, you know, God wants us to be responsible. But we have to remember that when Jesus was speaking in his day, the people that he spoke to were primarily poor people. The people who followed Jesus, a lot of his disciples, a lot of the ones who would go on to really start the Christian church, many of them were poor or made themselves poor for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the benefit of other people. So this message is not just for people who have lots of means and lots of resources and lots of access to share with others. And I think that's the whole point here. What is it that God has given to you? And how do you manage that? What has God given to this little church? And how do we manage that? To the glory of God and for the benefit of others. When Jesus turned the fish and the bread into a huge banquet with for 5,000 people, He only used a few pieces of bread and fish. That's all he needed to multiply it for thousands of people. And so this is not just a message for uh, the wealthy, the millionaire, uh, you know, those who, who are high, you know, living in the high class or in the high bracket for the taxes. No, this is a message for, for everybody. And so I think this, this passage really, it really challenges us as a church. But I, I think a very important lesson here we can also learn is to think about the joy that comes when we directly influence people for Jesus Christ. Think about the joy that will be yours when we enter the kingdom of heaven, we enter the kingdom of God, and somebody says to Jesus, that's brother so-and-so, or that's sister so-and-so. I am so grateful for their ministry. I am so thankful, God, that you use them because of their direct influence. I am here today. And it might be what, whatever you had, it might be whatever opportunities, it may not even be have anything to do with wealth, it may not have anything to do with money or those kind, it may just be an opportunity, it may be time that was spent in the service of others. And they will say, God, thank you for sending that person into my life at that time. Think about the joy that will be yours and theirs and the Lord's when you are received into an eternal dwelling. And that's the point. That's one of the points of this passage. So this, this message, this, uh, this passage that Jesus is giving us causes us to re-examine our values, our goals, and our attitude toward the wealth and the opportunities, and the use of, of those that we have. 
How do we use all of these things? How earnestly are we investing in the kingdom of God? Because times are changing. We need to think of new and different ways of getting the three angels' message out. And so that challenges us for today. Do you have a neighbor? Do you have a co-worker or a family member that some way and somehow you can do something that maybe you've never done before that will be directly for their benefit and to the glory of God? I want to challenge us today to pray about that and to think about that because you never know. You might be entering the kingdom of God and see their face smiling back at you when that day comes. May God bless you and happy Sabbath.